All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 20, dealing with the issue that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, basically Peter, as well as the apostles, about how he himself would reward those in the kingdom. Now, we remember that all of this uh, stemmed from chapter 19 with the rich young ruler coming to Jesus, wanting to assure that he would get into the kingdom. And once Jesus told him what his problem was, his concern and affection for his wealth more than others and even God himself, the rich young ruler was unable to do that. Or should I even dare say it the right way? He was unwilling to depart from his riches. And this Jesus began to teach an object lesson to the which the disciples responded that they themselves had left all things and they wanted to know, well, what will they get? Because they had also this idea, this false teaching from the Pharisees that material wealth was a sign of favor from God and they had set their own sights towards having some sense of gaining things in the kingdom. And so this is what Jesus continued to do as he went into chapter 20 and teaching them these things. First of all, the rich young ruler, I'm sorry, the rich young ruler saying that do not prefer the wealth of this world because those who set themselves, set their minds on attaining wealth of this world, salvation is so far away from them. Or in other words, how hardly shall they who set their hearts on riches inherit the kingdom of God? OK, but nevertheless, to make a long story short, as I was just saying to you about the disciples thinking that they themselves would attain some great riches, they asked the question, then what shall we get since we have left everything to follow you? And Jesus let them know that they will be blessed in the kingdom by being able to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, as we move into chapter 20, so and from this comes the additional education that Jesus lets them know in a nutshell that in the work of the kingdom, not only will the apostles be blessed in the kingdom, but also those who work uh, uh, that Jesus called to work in the kingdom during various times of the kingdom, stages of the kingdom, even up to the point of his return. Jesus began to teach them that he would be generous with all those who work for him in the kingdom. Okay. And that was the issue of the parable in chapter 20. Then Jesus told them once again, as we understand that this is the time for Jesus getting ready to come to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. He once again makes them aware that he is approaching Jerusalem and the things that will happen to him when he was in Jerusalem and that he would die. I'm sorry, it, <laughs> he will be killed and resurrected from the dead on the third day. Then, then we see this issue of John and James asking for preferment, using their mother to ask for preferment. That is to sit on Jesus' right hand and left hand in the kingdom. So we see this continual idea in the mind of the disciples wanting to be great and even wanting to be greater than one another. And this led Jesus to teach them about how things should be amongst those who are the kingdom recipients. That is even as likened unto us, those in the church, 
The great ones are the ones whom God has truly blessed, the ones whom God has truly gifted, and therefore their job is to serve the other members of the church. And anyone who desires to have great standing in the church, let him consider himself to be a slave to the rest. So Jesus took the mentality that they had, which was the mentality of the Gentiles that Jesus expressed, how they wanted to lord and rule over one another. He says the mentality of his people is not to lord and rule over one another, but the mentality of God's people is to serve one another. Okay. And with that, uh, we ended with chapter 20 with this issue of the two blind men. And the whole idea of all of that seems to suggest this was the, the spiritual position of the disciples. And we see this as they continue to seek grandeur and glory in the world, and even over one another. The whole issue of the blind men seemed to be a spiritual indicator of the disciples concerning their position with one another, their position in the kingdom. That, that, that is, they are blind. Their position is not one of greatness, that is, to be served by other men, but their position should be one of service, that they should be a slave unto all men, even in the same way that Jesus himself was a slave. Okay, now, with all of that, we now get into chapter 21 and we understand that this is Jesus's last time coming into Jerusalem where he will ultimately die and be resurrected from the dead. So we want to keep all of those things in mind as we prepare to move into Jerusalem for the final days of Jesus's life. Chapter 21. Now, it's a long chapter. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it in a single teaching. We'll see how it goes. It's not difficult. And if I don't go on and on and on, it won't be too difficult. But there are sometimes things that I try to bring to you guys attention so that you can not only understand the context of the text itself, but understand the customs, the times and what was going on in those people's mind. That is the Jewish people in Jesus's day that contributed to the atmosphere of those things. And so sometimes that takes a little while to get you to understand, to pull you into that scenario so you will understand really what's going on and you can appreciate the scriptures better and understand too the perspective that Matthew is trying to give. Okay, but nevertheless, it's a long chapter. Let's see how far we can go. We might have to bring it, break it up into two teachings, but let's just go. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, asks, anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the coat 
and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay. Now we come to where Jesus is now entering into Jerusalem for the final time. And some in the scriptures, in the heading in the Bible, you're heading, some call it the triumphal entry. Here we have what is the presentation of the king. So as Jesus is entering eastwardly into Jerusalem, he comes by virtue, by way of Bethpage into Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. He says unto his disciples to go and get a coat, find the coat, a donkey and a coat and bring him to him. Matt, Matthew is the only one who specified that there was both a donkey as well as her coat, her young fold. And it said all of this was to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter nine, when it says, behold, your king comes to you. Now, this presentation of the king Jesus is doing, number one, to fulfill all scriptures. And number two, as he comes riding on the on a donkey, this was customary for kings to do. So what we see here is Jesus presenting himself as the true king of Israel, even though we know that Israel has rejected Jesus as king, even though we know since Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is not offering to be their king. That's not what he's doing here. He's not offering. But even though that time of offering himself to be king to the Jewish people, which was rejected, Matthew chapter 12 again. And that's why we talked about again, what? Chapter 13, the new kingdom. But even though this offer has been rejected, it does not change the fact that Jesus is still the king. And also too, we must remember that Jesus, what did even Jesus say? I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill not one word of scripture will pass away until all things be fulfilled. So he must fulfill all scriptures. So what does Matthew say again to us that he is doing these things, presenting himself as the king of Israel to fulfill that which was spoken of by Zechariah, the prophet, that the king would show himself in this manner. And so as Jesus, as the disciples come and they bring back the donkey and Jesus, they prepare a little saddle, a little makeshift saddle by taking their clothes and placing it on so that Jesus can sit on the donkey, giving them a comfortable seat. And Jesus begins to come into Jerusalem. And as he's coming into Jerusalem, remember, most of his ministerial work was done in Galilee. So as he comes into Jerusalem, the people are 
who are basically from Galilee are shouting and praising because Jesus is coming and it keeps up a lot of noise and people begin to wonder, well, what in the world is going on and who is this and what is all of this noise about? And they begin to tell them that this is Jesus, the prophet of Galilee, the prophet of Nazareth. Okay. Nazareth of Galilee. And so therefore what we see here in this particular section is in a nutshell, Jesus fulfilling the prophecies spoken that the King of Israel, prophet of Zechariah will, 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 will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So he does this again concerning this. It shows the meekness and lowliness and the humility of Jesus as well as it exemplifies our Lord in his first coming. That is Jesus in his first coming, he came to give his life a ransom for many. In his second coming, when he breaks the cloud, that's what we call the second advent, he does not come riding on a meek and lowly beast of burden. He comes riding on the clouds of glory. But nevertheless, this is this picture of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. But anyway, as he did come, we want to notice something too. The people welcomed him also as a king. That's why we see them laying the clothes in front of the donkey. So that's the welcoming Jesus as a king. So the presentation of the king. Also notice the chant, the words of praise that the people began to say concerning Jesus. Notice in verse number nine, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I cannot overemphasize how important it is for you guys to understand what they are saying here. Okay. So Hosanna to the son of David. The people are not only receiving him as the king. You got to remember the political climate of Israel in that day. Remember the Romans were over Judea, were over the Jewish nation at that time. And the Jewish nation was sub subject to the Romans. If Jesus indeed had been received as Messiah, he would have delivered them from the dominion of the Romans. And the Jewish people understand that this would be the role of the Messiah. So we can see them in their chanting of this praise, Hosanna, which basically means to save, to deliver us, deliver us from our enemies, namely the Romans, namely Gentile oppression through the ages. Deliver us, save us, save us who? Son of David, which is a reference to what? The Messiah, the Messiah who would be the king of Israel. So we see there is a reference to Jesus as king in their acceptance of him as king, riding on the donkey, throwing their clothes out, and in their acceptance as, as, the, as the king, their reception. Let me say it that way, not acceptance, but their reception at this time, we can also see the inference that is being drawn out here, save us as a people and deliver us from our enemies. Hosanna to the son of David. Then you see them saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a phrase that is said to 
receive the Messiah. So whenever you, when you see this particular phrase and the reason why I'm emphasizing it, because Jesus himself is going to use this again at the end of Matthew chapter 23 and the context surrounding that we won't get into right now. I can't wait to get there. But the whole idea is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are receiving such a one that you are giving this praise to as the Messiah. So we see the people receiving Jesus at this moment as both King and Messiah, son of David, Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this caused a rut because this is called not so much as a rut but it caused a lot of excitement in Jerusalem because Jesus, for the most part, had avoided Jerusalem. And so many in Jerusalem didn't really know about Jesus as much in this way. So the people said, this is the prophet of Nazareth. This is the one spoken of by Moses himself. OK, so now we have the presentation of the king. And in chapter 21, we're going to see two basic things. We're going to see the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine, which we just saw the presentation of the king. And then we're going to see as we start moving on here and further the presentation of the lamb. So what we are going to have in chapter 21 is a dual presentation, a presentation setting forth of both the king that we see here, fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine, and the presentation or the setting forth of the Passover lamb. And that's in Exodus chapter 12. Now, I don't want to get into that with great detail. Go back and read it. And I even did some preliminary teaching in the book of Exodus. I also taught Exodus chapter 12. So look, look into the videos that I've done. Go back and look at the teaching that I did in Exodus chapter 12. There you will find when God instructs Moses in the first Passover, take a lamb on the 10th of Aviv month is also called now Nisan on the 10th of Nisan. And from the 10th of Nisan until the 14th, the lamb is to be inspected for purity. The lamb is going to be the sacrificial lamb for the nation, for all of the people. The bottom line is this, and this is what I'm trying to say. This, what Moses was commanded to do, take the, take the lamb on the 10th. The lamb is taken on the 10th and to be inspected. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this, for he is the true Passover, our lamb, Passover lamb. What did Paul say in first Corinthians? For Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the true Passover lamb. But the bottom line that I want you to see is this. The lamb was taken on the 10th and kept before the people for testing and examination. And this is what we're going to see in the, in at this point in exit, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 21 and following the testing and the proving of the lamb, 
of his perfection. And that's what they did in Exodus chapter 12, test the lamb for perfection. What the rulers would do, and we'll see this, and this is what I'm trying to say. The rulers of the people in their questioning of Jesus will be a fulfillment of that. It is the testing of the true lamb, Jesus the Messiah, for his perfection where they can find no fault in him. And notice Exodus chapter 12, after the lamb has passed the test, has been proven to be faultless with no blemishes, it is on the 14th that the lamb will be sacrificed. Jesus fulfills this same thing. This is a, nothing more than a type. Why? After Jesus himself has been tested and before as Jesus is before the people in Jerusalem for his final few days, he himself will be sacrificed. Okay. So there's a great similarity with what happens in Exodus chapter 12 and what is happening in the life of Jesus. Now, as Jesus is that lamb taken and presented before the people, especially notably the rulers of the people, for examination, the lamb should be spotless and without blemish, holy, that is Jesus should be holy and without any form of condemnation by the rulers of the people. Having passed the test, Exodus chapter 12, the lamb is therefore to be crucified on behalf of the nation. Having passed the test, Jesus himself will ultimately be crucified in just a few days, basically at the same time that the lamb would be sacrificed, Exodus chapter 12, Jesus will also be sacrificed on the cross in his crucifixion. So understand those two pictures. First, that we have first established presentation of the king. Now we are establishing presentation of the lamb. Okay. With that understanding, now let's go a little bit further. Verse number 12, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have, you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Okay. So now let's deal with this section. So now we get Jesus entering into the temple. Now, most likely, and it seems according to Mark, when Jesus entered into the city, the triumphal entered the presentation of the King, he went and then he came back out of the city. So basically what we're seeing here in chapter verse number 12 is entering into the city the next day. So as he is coming into the city, the next day he comes into the temple. And for the second time we see Jesus 
clearing, cleansing the temple. That is, we saw it at the beginning of his ministry. That's talked about in the gospel of John, that at the beginning of Jesus ministry, he drove out those who were uh, selling doves and exchanging money. I'll explain all of that in just a second. But we saw that at the beginning of this ministry and we now see Jesus doing the same thing at the end of his ministry in the temple. So he came into the temple and there were those who were buying and selling in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and those who were selling does. What is going on? In a nutshell, this is what was this basically what was happening. Remember, the Sadducees were the rulers of the temple. They were the leaders of the temple. The Pharisees and the scribes were the teachers of the people. The Pharisees did not have the power and authority over the temple. It was the Sadducees and the Sadducees were appointed this because they were more of a supporters of the Romans. But nevertheless, what they would do is this in the house of Caiaphas, that is Annas in Annas's family. They were known Remember, Annas was the father. Caiaphas was the son-in-law. These were Sadducees. They were over the temple and things that were done in the temple. And so they were known to be a greedy and corrupt family. So what they, some of the things that they would do is with respect to what is written even here, money, when they would, they would not allow any money to be traded in the temple for offerings, except the Jewish shekel. So, so when the shekel got time to the money exchanging, that is to take, say for instance, Roman coinage and convert it into the Jewish shekel, they would cheat the people with unfair balances. They would cheat the people with unfair balances, giving the people less than what their money was worth. Okay. That's the exchange of money that they were doing in order that when the people got ready to put in their offering, they had to put the offering in the shekel. So they needed to convert their Roman coinage and in the conversion process, they would cheat. All right. That's number one. Number two, sometimes if people would bring their own sacrificial animals to the temple for sacrifices, say for instance, whether it be a dove or whether it be a sheep or sheep. Now, if they brought sheep, what, what the, those who were hired by the Sadducees did when the people brought their own sheep, they would find some reason to make, to make that sheep unacceptable, but they would say, Hey, you got a spot or something is wrong with the sheep. And therefore they would judge the offering the sheep brought by the person to be unacceptable. And then what they would do is they would offer to sell other sheep to them, acceptable sheep for offering to them at inflated prices. Okay. Again, it's a money racket and they're beating the people and the doves they're selling at inflated prices. So the bottom line is there were a lot of shenanigans going on. Nothing wrong with trading the coinage within itself, except they cheated. 
Nothing wrong. They, well, concerning the sheep, they were simply cheating, saying that the people sacrificed, they were finding something wrong and selling them other sacrifices. And even sometimes those very sheep that the people were brought, they'll take those sheep, turn around and sell them again. The sheep that they just said were no good. That's what Jesus was condemning. So you need to understand that the corruption in the temple. That's why he said, you are making my father's house a robber's den because it is a place of corruption here. But not only that, we also know that he said my father's house should be called a house of prayer. Now we see in other gospels, we would say it, it, he said it uh, extendedly, a house of prayer for all nations. So what you have to understand is this, all of this shenanigans with the sheep and the goats and the changes and the stuff like this, this was taking place in the court of the Gentiles. This the court of the Gentiles was a place in the temple where non Jews were supposed to come and worship God. Remember there were certain places first that, you know, there will be the place where only Jewish men could come then, which is with the court of Israel. Then they will have the court of the women, the court of the women also in the treasury court, basically one in the same, but the court of the women, that is the court of the Jewish women. And then outside of that would be the court of the Gentiles. So you have to see how it's going. Court of the Jewish men, they would worship. Then the court of the Jewish women, this is the next level. Then outside of that is the court of the Gentiles. It was in the court of the Gentiles that they had all of the trading of the sheep and the goat, all of this shenanigans. So the Gentiles had no place where they could worship God properly. That's why Jesus said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all of the nations, number one, you made it a court, made it a robber's den. Number two, with all of this corruption. And that's why Jesus drove them out because the temple was not functioning in the way that God had designed for it to function. Number one and number two, all of the cheating and the corruption by the Pharisees. That's what was going on here. Okay. But anyway, and so having done that, then we see the blind coming to Jesus and Jesus healing the blind and the lame coming to Jesus and Jesus healing them. So the chief priests and the scribes, remember when we talk about the chief priests, we're talking about the Sadducees here. Okay. The Sadducees and the Sadducees, as I just told you, are over the temple compound. Remember the high priest comes from, is a Sadducee. Later on, we're going to talk about that as we get into the crucifixion of Jesus. But we're going to talk about Caiaphas and we're going to talk about Annas. Both of these guys were Sadducees. They'll be called the chief priests. But nevertheless, they were angry. And you can understand because they were benefiting and profiting the family of Annas, were profiting from these events and also from the very idea that Jesus comes and cleanses the temple as if he is over the temple. That is the Messiah to already. They have rejected Jesus as a Messiah. Okay. But anyway, so what happened? 
So they come to Jesus seeing all of these things that Jesus has doing, you know, seeing Jesus even earlier, how he comes uh, into Jerusalem in this great way. And even now seeing Jesus and what he's doing in the temple. And also, too, they're seeing the children begin to shout Hosanna to the son of David. Remember again, Hosanna, save Lord, son of David, a title to the Messiah. So this is why they become very angry. Not only is Jesus doing what he is doing in the temple, but the children are addressing him as the Messiah. So they bring Jesus attention to all of this as to say, you need to tell those children to stop calling you that. And so Jesus responds to them and with the scripture of Psalm eight and simply says, have you not read what the scripture said that out of the mouth of babes and small children, God has perfected praise. In other words, the children are rightly praising me. They are rightly calling me Messiah and God has adorned, has determined that these and it's a beautiful thing, simple of heart, humble of heart. What? These children, you got to bring in all of that. What Jesus is trying to say, these who in your mind, uh, chief priests, in your mind, you would say these unlearned, but yet this unlearned group is rightly praising me. This unlearned group is rightly receiving me as Messiah. And you with your learned self, you with your educated in the scripture self, you don't have the opening of mind, opening of heart that these children have. Why? Because you have rejected me. How beautiful God does these things. Those who consider themselves to be humble as children. And that's why Jesus said it again and again and again, except you humble yourself at these children, you will in no wise see the kingdom of heaven. Something that we need to do even to this day. But nevertheless, we can see Jesus strike at the heart of these proud Pharisees. I'm sorry, proud Sadducees in saying that you have rejected me and the children have received me and these children are the ones who are right in the sight of God and what they're saying and what they're doing. And then we see Jesus turning around once again and leaving the city. And this you will notice day after day for the few days that Jesus is coming in and out of Jerusalem. He never spends the night in Jerusalem. This seems to indicate, as we'll see in the continuation of the of the gospel, we'll see it even here. This seems to indicate his rejection of Jerusalem, his because of their rejection of him, because of the rulers rejection of him, because of. And it's always important that you guys understand this in the right context, because of that generations rejection of Jesus. And so therefore, as that generation ruler and rulers and peoples rejected Jesus, Jesus also rejects that generation. And we can even see that just from what we just got through talking about. 
What was the children saying? Hosanna, son of David, reception to the, him as Messiah. What did the rulers say? Stop them from saying this. Once again, rejection. What were they saying? What authority do you have? You are not the Messiah. We see this in continuation, okay? So that's what's important to see here. But nevertheless, Jesus did not spend the night in the city. He left and he returned to Bethany. And we recall that it was Lazarus who Je whom Jesus raised from the dead, who had a house in Bethany. So it is very possible that Jesus left from Jerusalem and stayed at the house of Lazarus. All right, let's continue. Let's see how far we can go. Verse 18. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a long fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Okay, now this is a very simple section, but there are certain nuances that need to be highlighted. So coming into the city, he sees now Jesus was hungry. He sees a fig tree and the fig tree had leaves on it. Now, normally, whenever the leaves be on the leaves are on the fig tree, it was be an indication that there would be early fruit on the fig tree. So there was nothing unusual for Jesus coming to this fig tree and expecting fruit on the tree. But the tree full of leaves had no fruit and therefore this, this Jesus responded by cursing the fig tree saying that the fig tree should be consumed and should die, never bear any fruit. All right, and then the disciples, and let me just finish this part and then I'll come back and cover it. The disciples, and this is, this, even though Matthew is bringing all of this together, this, is, this actually took place the next day. Matthew is just simply condensing the event for us. The disciples looked at the tree, saw how quickly the tree died, came, brought it up to Jesus saying, whoa, the tree died so quickly. And Jesus used the, their observation of the quick death of the tree as an object lesson in faith, simply saying, if you believe, nothing will be impossible for you. Anything that you ask in prayer, if you believe it, God will do these things for you. So Jesus used this for his disciples as an object lesson in prayer. However, there is a greater object, object lesson, spiritual lesson being involved. Remember that I was just telling you guys earlier about the leaders uh, uh, of, the, of the, the Sadducees themselves, even the rulers of the people, Phar Sadducees, Pharisees as well, and they themselves representative of the people. But the bottom line is 
They rejected Jesus as Messiah when Jesus came, that is, in his first coming. And the whole atmosphere of everything, even as he came into Jerusalem, let's start again, coming into Jerusalem, he is the king, but nevertheless, even as the king, he is a king that will be rejected. And we'll see that even emphasized even more so in Jesus's parables that he's going to teach later on in this very chapter. But let me not be too premature. A whole idea is Jesus being rejected by the rulers of the people. Okay. Now, Israel is styled often as a fig tree. And that's when, we, okay, we can see that in Isaiah chapter five, when God gives a similar parable talking about his own vineyard. As Jesus comes to this fig tree, expecting fruit and finding none, he curses the fig tree. In the same way as Jesus now comes into, the, into this fig tree, his fig tree, into Israel, Isaiah 5, expecting fruit, expecting that the leaders of the people should receive him. And we can always see why, because of all the signs that he did to prove that indeed he was the Messiah, King of Israel, even as John the Baptist pointed unto Jesus that he is the Messiah, King of Israel, even as Jesus appointed his disciples to go about preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, King of Israel, and doing signs and wonders to prove that as Jesus comes to Israel, expecting fruit that they should receive him likewise and also bear the fruit of righteousness for a nation because he came unto the, his people. Remember, okay, calming down. In all of the things that Jesus came unto his, the rulers of the people, especially, and we can see this indication, especially toward the rulers, as Jesus points to, in their evil, in their hypocrisy, in their rejection of him as Messiah, called them whitewashed tombs. He called them hypocrites and on and on and on. And we're going to get into Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus is going to tear the rulers out the frame. So we will see Jesus really having a problem really against the rulers. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because so as the rulers go, so do the people go. The people ultimately will follow their rulers. But the whole bottom line concerning this tree issue, as Jesus comes to his people, like he came to this fig tree, expecting the fruit of righteousness, expecting them that they should receive him as Messiah, they do not. They possess no fruit as a nation, the rulers and neither do the people. And ultimately they are rejected by Jesus. Jesus curses the tree, not saying that Jesus curses Israel. It is saying Jesus rejects that generation. And that's what I was saying to you guys earlier. You got to be careful. You have to catch the nuance of this. That generation that rejected Jesus and that generation that will suffer judgment. You will see that idea being talked about over and over again. 
even as early as again, what? That wonderful Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus says this generation, this generation, this generation. And you have to be careful not to make a false application to simply say all Jewish people or the Jewish people as a whole. Jesus is not rejecting the Jewish people. Jesus is rejecting that generation. Remember again, when Jesus would come and say, war unto you, what? Chorizon, war unto you, Bethsaida, war unto you, Capernaum, to that generation of Jews. Why? For if, the, uh, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the mighty things that were done in you, or if, you know, the Ninevites or, or, or the queen of Egypt saw the, the whole point is, you had the benefit of me personally, Messiah, working all of these wonderful signs and wonders amongst you. You had such an advantage and you still rejected me. And therefore you, this generation of Jewish people, this generation that reject me will suffer a special judgment. And we know that special judgment once again 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus. So you have to kind of keep this thing in mind and in focus so that you yourself will not develop some sense of anti-Semitism, hatred for all Jews, okay? Even though the Jews as a whole did not receive Jesus at this time, you have to take it in biblical perspective. You have to keep it balanced properly. But nevertheless, so that's what the tree is all about. The, as Jesus expecting fruit from that generation, leaders and people, finding none, he rejected that generation, cursed the tree. Okay? All right. So now let's move into the next section. Remember the whole issue involved. Let's keep that background in mind of the challenge of Jesus authority by the temple priest. Okay. Namely the Sadducee, but also they're going to be joined with the Pharisees as, as well as others. Whole idea is rejection by the leaders of the people. Okay. But in that challenge, same thing. Keep in mind the Exodus chapter 12, what in the 10 to the 14 day, the testing of the lamb, but over against it. Whole point is, against the rulers of the people that Jesus is primarily directing his, his issues with. That's what the issues are really being directed with and the challenges are coming from. But anyway, anyway, let's move from the fig tree and get to the next section. Now you'll see what I'm talking about. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source from heaven or from men. And they began reasoning among themselves saying, now, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, hmm, we fear the people for they all regard John as a prophet and answering Jesus. They said, 
We do not know. And he also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay. So, okay. Again, we have a confrontation with Jesus in the temple. Notice Jesus is there and he's teaching the people, no doubt teaching in parables ever since what? Wonderful Matthew chapter 12, but teaching the people and there he is confronted by the leaders of the people. And they're asking him once again, by what authority he's doing these things. As we said earlier, seeing all the things that Jesus was doing from coming in to Jerusalem, cleansing out the temple and all of the things that Jesus was doing. So what, in other words, they reject Jesus as a Messiah since they reject. See, if he was Messiah, he would have authority. You got it. But they reject that since he is not the Messiah as they have rejected him. They're asking him, well, what is your authority in doing these things? And so Jesus in common rabbinical style, he said, I tell you what, I'll ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. And so he asked him concerning the ministry of John the Baptist. That's what he means when he says the baptism of John, the ministry of John the Baptist. Did John receive his ministry? Was it of men, simply something conjured up by men, or was it indeed a ministry given by God? Was it a divine ministry? Did he receive it from men or did he truly receive it from God? Then the leaders began to contemplate on this because they're just crooked. They didn't just really want to answer. So they began to say to themselves, well, if we say that it is from God, that is genuine. The ministry of John the Baptist was genuinely from heaven and John was truly a prophet. Then he is going to ask us, well, why didn't we believe John? Because that is Jesus knew that. Remember, we saw early in the ministry, even before the ministry of Jesus, they came unto John the Baptist when John was baptizing at the Jordan and they were asking John, who was he? OK, we know er from this, the leaders of the people rejected John as a prophet in rejecting John as a prophet. They rejected his baptism, rejected John as a prophet. They therefore rejected his ministry and they rejected his words. What are the words of John? The words of John is, I am not the Messiah. I was sent to sent before the Messiah to show and to prepare the way for the Messiah and to show you Israel who is the Messiah. You got to catch it. I am not the Messiah. I was sent prepare, prepare the road to prepare the people for the Messiah and to point to who the Messiah would be. That's my job and that's who I am, okay? What did John do in pointing to the Messiah? He pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. John indicated that it is indeed Jesus who is the Messiah. So if the rulers of the people had believed John and accepted him truly as a prophet, they would have inevitably accepted who John declared to be the Messiah. That is Jesus to accept. John would have been to accept John's ministry. John's baptism would have been to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Why? Because John pointed to Jesus. So therefore they rejected John and 
hence rejected Jesus. So they thought if we say from heaven, Jesus would say, why didn't you believe John? Which would have been, why don't you even believe and accept me? So they said, well, what about the other side of the coin? What did we say? John's ministry was of human origin, was from men. It was not from God. John was not a true prophet. Then they were afraid of the people because why? The people regarded John as a true prophet and this would cause problems. And so they decided not to give an answer. So they said to Jesus, we don't know. They knew they lied. They rejected John. They, they believed that his ministry was from men, but they didn't want to cause problems at the time with the temple because remember, let me give you a little more atmosphere. The Passover, this is the season of the Passover because Jesus is going to die in a few days in the time of the Passover. During this time, Jerusalem swells. A lot of people, Jews from all over the world coming to Jerusalem and a lot of people coming, Jews, out of, Naz out of Galilee were there present as well, who believed in John, who believed in the ministry of Jesus to a certain extent. But a lot of them were present there and a lot of Jews were there, okay? Even at this time, Rome would increase the number of soldiers in Jerusalem at this time to keep the peace because a lot of time, it was during those times, people would have nationalistic feeling, feelings they want to rise up as a nation again. And it was during religious times like these that they were afraid that the nation would begin to rebel against Rome, especially with a lot of people. But that's what you need to see, the atmosphere at that time, okay? So the religious leaders don't want to upset the people at all with their answer saying John's ministry was given by men. So they just simply to decide to say, we don't know. And now Jesus returns an answer to them and simply says, since you don't know, I'm not going to tell you either. Okay. <laughs> by what authority that I do these things. But all of this really is centered around the rejection of Jesus as Messiah. And also to remember, bear in the back of your mind, the testing of the lamb. Okay. But let's go a little bit further. I think I feel like going, I think we've got a little more time. Remember they asked Jesus, the whole issue, the leaders of the people are testing Jesus. They asked him by what authority do you do these things? And since they are testing Jesus and in their testing, they're showing that they reject Jesus authority. They reject Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus continues on to give a parable and this parable, two parables, as a matter of fact, are directed to the leaders, directed to the leaders in their rejection of him as the Messiah, even in their rejection of him as they question his authority. So let's just go a little further. Enough of that. Verse 28, Jesus began to say, but what do you think? Pointedly toward the leaders. A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said to the, and said the same thing. And he answered, 
I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Okay, so notice how this parable is tied to Jesus' question about John. Remember, they asked Jesus what? What authority do you do these things? Jesus turned and said, I asked you a question. Tell me about John's baptism. And so now he styles a parable tied to the leader's rejection of John the Baptist. You got it? That's why it says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. And what? You didn't believe him. You rejected John. But now let's back up and see what Jesus was talking about. So he styles it off. All right. So he now says to them, concerned since they didn't want to answer. They didn't want to answer. Remember, they said to Jesus, we don't know. Jesus, okay, fine. Two sons. Father had two sons. He says to one of them, go and work in my vineyard. And then that particular son says to him, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went. Then he said to the second son, go and work. That son says, yes, sir, I'll go. But he ends up not going. So he looks at, he turned, now Jesus turned to the leaders of the people after telling them this. He says, which one of those sons did the will of his father and the leaders of the people, the one who just Jesus talking to here, who said they don't know about John's baptism, who have rejected Jesus, who have rejected John. Jesus says to them that Jesus hating group, <laughs> he says to them, truly I say unto you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you do. Now, what Jesus does, what did was he styles the two sons as two groups based upon the believing of John. That's why he said, for truly John came to you in a way of righteousness. You didn't believe him. Tax collectors and sinners, they believed him. You did not. And you didn't even change your mind and believe him afterwards. But what Jesus did was this. He punched them in the face. You got to remember. Open your mind. Turn on the theater of your mind. See these religious leaders in all of their religious garb. You got it. But in all of their religiosity, they are not religious enough to understand and accept Jesus as the Messiah, son of God. They hate him and they want to put him to death. Notice Jesus says to this religious group. The first son who came and changed his mind, that's tax collectors and prostitutes. What you have to understand about the tax collectors and prostitutes is this was a rejected group of people in the mind of these Jewish leaders. They were the untouchables of society. Tax collectors, they will not be saved. These prostitutes, they will not be saved. That's the whole idea. The, the, the they, they were the the outcast of society for Jesus to say 
that they will enter the kingdom before these so-called religious leaders, it was a slap directly in their face. And bravo, look at the straightforwardness to the Lord. He didn't bite his words. He didn't stray from, oh my God, Jesus was straight on the money when he looked them in their face and tells them the worst dredge of society will be saved and you yourself go, can I, let me say it in a way you guys can understand it. With your religious self, with your church going self, going straight to hell. That's what Jesus said to them, to that self-righteous group. But anyway, and then Jesus based it all back to the text because I'm trying to do less preaching, more teaching. John, notice, you didn't want to answer the question about John, whether or not John's ministry, his baptism was truly from heaven. I will answer the question. Yes, John's baptism was from heaven. John's ministry was divine. It was God's given. John came in the way of righteousness. So Jesus said, the question you won't answer, my question, I'll answer it for your hypocritical self. John's ministry was indeed a true ministry, a righteous ministry, a ministry given from heaven. And guess what? the prostitutes and tax collectors who you consider to be the dredge of society, listen to John. They believed in John and repented and you yourself rejected John, rejected his ministry. Therefore, what am I saying to you? And let me finally finish this thing. Those who believe in the ministry of John, tax collector and, pro and prostitute will end up in the kingdom and you will be outside of the kingdom. So he excoriates the religious leaders at that particular time, but he doesn't stop there. He continues on with another parable, once again, as we'll see, directed towards them. I think we'll be able to finish all of 21. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a, put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it, built a tower, rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched inn and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, 
Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Then when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Okay, now this is long, but it's pretty simple. So now we see another parable. Remember the first parable about the two sons directed against the leaders. Jesus continues on with another parable directed against the leaders. And he gives the parable of a Lord, his vineyard being leased out to those who supposed to take care of the vineyard. So he says, a Lord at a vineyard, he leased it out to a certain number of men. And the whole idea is that at the time proper for the time for the fruit, these, those guys who were taking care of the vineyard should give the fruit to the land owner. So when the time came for the fruit, he sent out his servants. And what did they do? To some, they mistreated and to some they killed. Now, let me take my time. Let me take, let me slow it down just a little bit so that you can understand the nature of this parable when the harvest time should come. So as he's talking about sending those out who are being killed, these can be understood. These can be understood as the prophets, as God is the leaders of the people. The leaders of the people are those who are over the vineyard. The vineyard is the people of Israel. Remember, I told you how that in Isaiah chapter five and even in Jesus's cursing of the fig tree. Remember that how Israel is styled as the fig tree as God's vineyard. We can see this being developed by Jesus even here in this parable using this same symbology. Okay. So the vineyard is the people of Israel, the rulers of the people to which Jesus is talking about here, those various Sadducees and the Pharisees, the rulers of the people, are also styled in this parable here as those to whom the vineyard is leased. They're responsible for the care of the vineyard and to bring the vineyard to a productive point so that when the master sends for the fruit, they can deliver up the fruit. All right. So those emissaries that the Lord sends can be understood through time as the prophets. And we can understand that very simply. The prophets, one after another, many prophets that God sent to that, that the people of Israel should produce fruit. And he sent them to Israel, namely the leaders of the people. And how did the leaders respond? How did the managers of the vineyard respond? They would see some, mistreat some, kill some. Finally, the Lord of the vineyard 
sent his son. This is God, the father sending Jesus. And notice it says they respect my son. When the leaders of the people, when the vineyard caretakers see the son, they surmise that if they kill the son, they can inherit the vineyard for themselves. That is Jesus. So when they see Jesus, they are going to kill Jesus. And in doing so, Jesus continues the parable and simply says, now, here's my question to you. What do you think that the Lord of the vineyard are going to do to those people, those servants who were supposed to take care of the vineyard and render up the fruit when it was supposed to be given? What do you think he's going to do to those servants? And here is where the leaders, you got to understand this part, the leaders of the people, those Sadducees who were questioning Jesus authority, whom Jesus just asked about John's ministry and Jesus just tore them up about not receiving John here in this parable. They say to Jesus, this is what the Lord will do. He, go, he is going to destroy those miserable, wretched, wicked vine dressers, and he will appoint others who will render the fruit when they're supposed to give up the fruit. This is the answer, and they answered Jesus rightly. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the leaders answered this. This was their answer to Jesus. The Lord of the vineyard will destroy those vineyard dressers and give it to others. That's what they answered. And Jesus simply said to them, you answered correctly. And, and that's when he began to style the wording of the Psalm. Have you not heard the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the stone? And this is God's doing. In other words, the stone that the builders rejected Jesus is referring to himself. He is that stone that the leaders, the builders, the leaders are the builders, that the leaders are rejecting. But the rejected stone is the cornerstone. It is the chief stone. Nothing can be built without this stone. And that's Jesus himself. Nothing can be built without Jesus. No salvation in any other name without Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing. And this has been predetermined by God himself. This is the Lord's doing. This is God's plan. And is it not a marvelous thing. And even it takes us back even to when the children were saying to Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus said how God has determined these things to perfect praise in the mouth of children. These things are determined by God. Is it not wonderful? So what was Jesus simply saying? That the kingdom of heaven that kingdom that Jesus, uh, now, now let's, let's get it back. The kingdom, remember what I told you guys earlier about the kingdom to that generation. Bring that into focus now. The kingdom, because they, the leaders, rejected Jesus and that generation, will be taken away from that generation. And remember he says, and will be offered, the vineyard will be offered to another. It doesn't mean that the Jews are rejected. That's not what he means. It means that generation 
of Jews at that time. Later on, the kingdom will be offered to another generation of Jews and that generation will receive Jesus. Now, Jesus did not get into all of the prophetic insight into all of that because we understand I can't get into it with any details whatsoever, but I just simply tell you the generation of the great tribulation, the Jews of that generation will accept Jesus. The offer of Jesus will be made and they will receive Jesus and that generation will receive Jesus. Okay. So it is that generation that will receive the new offer and receive Jesus. But this present generation with his leaders and rulers that now reject Jesus, these rulers and leaders also leading the people to do the same thing. The kingdom will be taken away from them. Okay. And ultimately, as I've just told you earlier, what happened? What did they say? What did they answer Jesus? The, 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 the Lord will destroy those miserable wretches. And this is speaks of the 70 AD judgment under Titus. Once again, what happens because of that generation's re generation's rejection of Jesus, God will destroy that generation with judgment by the Romans. Okay. But nevertheless, in concluding this chapter, understanding the rulers understood that Jesus was not just simply speaking generic parables, but that Jesus was directing his parables towards them. So he ends chapter 21 in dealing with what? The rejection of the leaders. Number one, remember the parable of the two sons and saying to their faces, prostitutes and tax collectors get to the kingdom before you do. And then finally saying they as God guardians over God's people will be rejected and destroyed and replaced by faithful ones. Those who will ultimately receive Jesus as Messiah. Okay. So now thanks for joining me with all of that. Recapping chapter 21. What do we see? In the triumphal entry, we see the Jesus's presentation of himself as the king. So we see the people receiving him as a king, not that he will be king, but even though being rejected, he is still king, fulfilling Zechariah chapter nine. We see what presentation of the king. Then after that, what do we see? Jesus coming in and out of Jerusalem in his activity. What do we see here again? The fulfillment of Exodus chapter 12, presentation of the lamb for spots and blemishes. That is the presentation of Jesus, the testing of Jesus by the rulers of the people. They will find no fault in him. And we see that in a number of things with what? The leaders testing Jesus' authority by why, how he is able to do the things that he is doing. And then we see Jesus' own demonstration in parables that he is Messiah and what will take place with those leaders. That is the ultimate rejection of those leaders because they have rejected Jesus. 
two sons, first parable. Then the vine growers, the second parable. Rejection of the leaders, testing of the lamb. And we also see one more time, the forwardness of Jesus. When Jesus spoke to them, he didn't try to hide it. He told them straight to their faces. Okay, thanks for joining me with that. Thank the Lord we were able to finish chapter 21 in one video. Join me next time as we continue in the testing of the lamb in chapter 22 when Jesus starts to talk about the marriage feast. All right, thanks for joining me guys. See you then.